There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, I'm just going to be upfront about this. You want to talk mistakes, you go look at some of my early Facebook posts, okay? Yeah. With that in mind, I'm Sean Ferrick for Trek Culture, and here are 10 dumb mistakes Star Trek wants you to forget. Number 10. Scotty was on the Enterprise B. With both Star Trek Generations and Relics, the sixth season episode of The Next Generation featuring Scotty, there was bound to be a clash of continuity here. Both scripts were co-written by Ronald D. Moore, which makes the error here a little more egregious. In Relics, Scotty is saved from suspended animation in a transporter beam, believing Kirk to be a saviour. However, in Star Trek Generations, Scotty is on board the Enterprise B as as it encounters the Nexus. This mission was one for the history books, as even Riker is able to instantly identify it as the mission where James Kirk died. In the years that have passed, Scotty's apparent memory failure has been put down to signal degradation while trapped in the transporter. But the truth is far more simple. Generations hadn't been written by the time Relics was airing, and Scotty was a last-minute addition to the film when both Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly either refused or were unable to appear. This is more apparent in Generations than anything, as Scotty's dialogue is much more spocky than ever, owing to the fact that the Vulcan's lines were handed more or less wholesale over to the engineer. Number 9. I never forget a face. One of the most well-known errors in all of Star Trek takes place in the second movie, The Wrath of Khan. In fact, it's so well-known that two people spotted it at the time. One was the actor with whom it was concerned, the other was the director, Nicholas Meyer. When the USS Reliant arrives in orbit of SETI Alpha 5, believing it to be SETI Alpha 6, Commander Chekhov accompanies Captain Terrell to the planet's surface. There, they encounter Khan, the genetically engineered madman who attempted to seize control of the Enterprise 15 years earlier. Though Khan doesn't recognise Terrell, he does identify Chekhov by name. The issue with this is that Chekhov wasn't on board the Enterprise during the events of Space Seed. Walter Koenig spotted this error straight away, but fearing a diminished role of the film, he kept his mouth shut. Nicholas Meyer would also come to realise the error and, years later, said he could just as easily swapped out Chekhov for Uhura in this scene, but he decided against it, leaving it in as a little nod to the fans who notice. Off-screen, a joke could be heard describing Chekhov as the annoying crewman who held up Khan as the latter was waiting for the bathroom. That's a face we wouldn't forget in a hurry either. Number 8. Which ship was studying the gas? In the opening scene of Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, Captain Sulu records his log aboard the USS Excelsior. He states that the ship is en route back to Starfleet HQ, having completed a three-year mission cataloguing gaseous anomalies in the Beta Quadrant. Moments later, the ship monitors the explosion from the Klingon moon of Praxis, kickstarting the action in the film. In the climactic battle between the Enterprise A and Chang's cloaked bird of prey, Uhura solves the riddle of how to locate the enemy ship. She suggests using the extra material on board that they have been using 
using to catalogue all of those gaseous anomalies to find the ship's tailpipe. This seems to have been a case of Chekhov's gun moving from ship to ship. According to George Takei, this change, the Enterprise saving itself as opposed to the Excelsior saving the day, was made at the request of William Shatner. Takei claims that Shatner believed no one but Captain Kirk can save the Enterprise. The scene, whoever was responsible for saving the ships, is a thrilling one in any case, just don't ask which crew was supposed to report on the Klingon plasma emissions. Number seven. Three timelines, three beams, three enterprises? The climactic episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, All Good Things, features a breakneck story of temporal hopping, paradox discovering, and family building within the crew of the Enterprise D. It's clearly a triumphant finale for one of the most popular iterations of Star Trek, serving as a stronger script than the first film generations. However, while in the Devron system in the past, present, and future, Jean-Luc Picard initiates a scan from a topographic imaging scanner primarily designed to scan the anomaly that's appeared. Once the event horizon has been breached, it is discovered that the union of all three beams is what's in fact causing the anomaly to begin with. They have the exact same resonance frequency as though all three were coming from the Enterprise D. In two of the time periods, that's accurate. In the past and the present, Picard is aboard the Enterprise. However, in the future, Picard is aboard the USS Pasteur, an Olympic-class ship that is most decidedly not the Enterprise D. While the latter ship does eventually show up, it's not the origin point of the beam. Reportedly, writer Ronald D. Moore noticed this, but left it in anyway, as changing the error would have been way too costly to be feasible. Number six. Klingon Katinga-class ship in Enterprise. Matt Jeffries designed the original Klingon battlecruiser for the original series, which cut an imposing figure once introduced in Errand of Mercy. When it came time to bring this ship to the big screen, it was given a detail-centric overhaul, as the original model was far too smooth for the close-up shots required for the motion picture. The ship was a new design by the time the Enterprise 1701 encountered around Organia, so when a Katinga-class battlecruiser was encountered by the NX-01 in the first season episode Unexpected, this created a fairly annoying continuity error. Rob Bonshoon and Koji Kuramura of Foundation Imaging had built, free of charge, a new D4-class battlecruiser for the scene in question. Yet it was decided that their CGI model didn't have enough windows on it. The producers asked them to redo it, to which they bluntly said no, feeling that this was highly ungrateful. Instead, the Katinga model was used as it was readily available, having been built for Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The appearance of this ship remains a low mark in Enterprise's first season, which was, at the time, already struggling to find Find its identity and feet. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Number 5. The Ferengi Code of Honour The introduction of the Ferengi in the next generation was a very strange affair. Clearly, they were intended to become series regulars and bad guys to the level that the Klingons and Romulans had been in the original series. In fact, the Romulans were originally planned to only appear long enough to be destroyed by the Borg. Thankfully, that idea was scrapped. The Ferengi, however, they were introduced with a love of profit that would come to define them, that they were also painted as vicious and almost feral beings. Once trapped by the force that bound their ship and the Enterprise D over Delphi Ardu IV, their commander, Daemon Tar, offers a return of stolen technology and the life of their second officer in accordance with the Ferengi Code. The only code that is ever referred to after this, arguably, is the rules of acquisition. This is clearly because the Ferengi simply didn't work on screen as intended. They were laughable, described as hopped-up gerbils rather than anything particularly frightening. Armin Shimmerman, who had appeared in The Last Outpost, has joked that he took on the role of Quark in Deep Space Nine to atone for their very first appearance. Having said this, their first appearance could simply have been the writers following the 239th rule of acquisition Never be afraid to mislabel a product. Number four, the design of the Enterprise C. The Enterprise C made her first on-screen appearance in the third season episode of The Next Generation, Yesterday's Enterprise. It was revealed as an Ambassador-class ship, believed to have been lost 20 years prior, defending the Klingon outpost of Narendra III from the Romulans. It slipped into a temporal disturbance, appearing in an altered future alongside the Enterprise D. Rewinding to season one of The Next Generation, the Observation Lounge had been seen adorned with several golden models on the wall. These models depicted the previous ships to bear the name Enterprise. Matt Jeffrey's designs for 1701 and 1701A were present, as was an Excelsior-class ship, later revealed as the Enterprise B. Then, a class of ship that had never been shown before sat between B and D. This was designer Andrew Probert's original design for the Ambassador-class ship. It had a hull that was more evocative of the Excelsior-class, while the nacelles and deflector dish were closer to the Galaxy-class. The saucer section was circular, a design aspect that held over on the on-screen version. While it came time to produce the yesterday's Enterprise, the budget didn't stretch to building an entirely new class of ship. Therefore, the Ambassador class, as depicted, was something of a kitbash from readily available models. Number three, two decades of peace. The timeline of the Klingon and Federation peace treaties has been a bone of continuity contention for some time in Star Trek. To start with, Star Trek Discovery depicts the dreadful Klingon Federation War of 2256. Later, the original series, war is breaking out as the Enterprise travels to Organia. There follows a period of hostility up until the Kittimer Accords of 2293. However, in the way of the Warriors, set in 2372, Dr. Bashir states baldly that there had only been two decades of peace with the Klingon Empire by the time Gowron decides to invade Cardassia. The Federation's decision to condemn the assault leads to the dissolution of the treaty. When, then, did the Federation and the Empire enter into a cessation of hostilities? There are a couple of options. First, the attempt by the Enterprise C at Narendra III led to a deepening of relations between the two, while the Klingons and Romulans were further divided. That took place in 2344, which would roughly fall into Bashir's timeline. Yet, this still ignores the Kittimer Accords of 2293. While a second set of accords were drafted, the first had never been dissolved. Therefore, without an establishment of a far stronger alliance stated on screen, Bashir was correct in Trials and Tribulations when he stated he was a doctor, not an historian. Number two, the Borg priorities change. The Borg had a somewhat stilted entry into Star Trek canon. They were originally conceived as the parasitic race who were teased in coming of age and then introduced in conspiracy. The idea of colonies being scooped right out of the ground was then introduced in the neutral zone. However, their design and drive was radically overhauled for their first appearance in Q-Who. They became the cybernetic beings that the audience would come to know so well. As many will be well aware, the main drive of the Borg would be to add the biological and technological distinctiveness of all other races to their own race. Check that word. Bi- Biological. In Q-Who, Q states clearly that the Borg have no interest in the Enterprise crew. He maintains that they are only interested in the ship's technology. This would come to be a continuity error by their very next appearance, in that next appearance being the best of both worlds. From that episode on, 
assimilation would become their main drive. It's highly unlikely that Q, the omnipotent being, would be unaware of the Borg's drive to assimilate all civilizations, so this is simply a mistake in the history of the collective. Number one, the eugenics wars. The eugenics wars were a series of conflicts that took place on Earth between 1992 and 1996. They spawned Khan, the Superman who controlled much of contemporary Asia at the time. Once it became apparent that he would lose the wars, he and dozens of his followers escaped Earth aboard the SS Botany Bay, a sleeper ship that would be discovered 200 years later by the Enterprise. Any time that genetic engineering is mentioned in Star Trek, Khan's name is usually brought up, which means his existence and that of the wars is a firm part of Star Trek history. So when episodes like Voyager's Futures End and 1159 take place in the 90s, it's distinctly odd that the wars receive no mention at all. While it's conceivable that the United States wasn't involved at all, it does seem somewhat strange that there would be no mention of them, nor any depiction of their impact. Even Deep Space Nine's past tense, set during the early 21st century, makes no allusions to them either. This leaves them in the odd position as being an ingrained part of Star Trek's history, and yet one that is deliberately avoided whenever time travel brings the various crews anywhere near their start or end dates. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.